just jumping in really quickly at the start of today's episode to tell you about some upcoming opportunities to see us live in the flesh. And you can see us live at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival 2024. We are doing three live podcasts on Sundays at 3.30 at Basement Comedy Club, April 7, 14 and 21. You can get tickets at dogoonpod.com. Matt, you're also doing some shows around the country. That's right. I'm doing shows with Saren Jaimana, who's been on the show before. We're going to be in Perth in January, Adelaide in February, Melbourne through the festival in April and then Brisbane after that. I'm also doing Who Knew It's in Perth and Adelaide. Uh, details for all that stuff at mattstewartcomedy.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Comedy Festival, how are you doing? Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for coming out on this uh, beautiful Saturday afternoon. Uh, my name is Dave Warnke and this is a podcast and podcasting is, of course, a team sport. So let's welcome my teammates now. It's Jess Perkins and Matt Stewart, ladies and gentlemen. Yay! Thanks, thanks for having me, Dave. That is a nice shirt. <laughs> All right, let's. Oh, this old thing. Calling it early. All right, so. Uh, Do you know where this short was? Short shirt. Do you know where? You know where this shirt was purchased? Where was it purchased from exactly? Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> Camille. Camille, what a fucking legend. <laughs> Everyone else here is on notice. <laughs> nah, good on you all. He's, uh, no, he, I'm not saying you're worse than him. He's just better than you. That's all. No, that works. Yeah, yeah. all right. Yeah, just, Hello, just trying to do the maths on that. My strength. Uh, for, for those listening at home, uh, Matt is wearing a Gary Indiana shirt and I don't think he's ever going to take it off. No. Camille also said, please don't go to Gary, it's no good. (laughs) But I think he's lying. Yeah, it just makes us want to go there even more. It totally does. Murder capital? Yes. (laughs) I did not know that part. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, we we do love a good murder here at uh, Do Go On. (laughs) Let's see if someone gets murdered today. Okay. Oh, listen, I don't know if you've heard last week's episode, but listening back, I was encouraging a group of people to cheer a potential death. And then myself, I was hearing myself be disappointed that someone didn't die. That's so bad. That's, 
Sociopathic right there. <laughs> anyway, but how are you, Jess and Matt? You good? For, for, the, for the audio recording, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she just flipped me off for those at home. I'm going to do a lot of mime today. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, I'm very well. Thank you, Dave. I had coffee earlier and I feel pretty blooded up tip top. <laughs> uh, you I had a banana for potassium. You have, you, have a, you have coffee every day. Yep. Okay. And Matt, you good? You good for this? Yeah, real good. <laughs> I mean that. Oh, good. Uh, and how are you guys? Are you good? <laughs> oh, there's so many of you here. Hello. Hello, everyone at the bar. Hello. You guys. Tr- I mean, it's impossible to get a drink right now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. But if you wanted to grab us one, that's fine. No volunteers. Interesting. Okay. That's well, why they don't get a seat. Oh, <laughs> you grabbed your beer just to sort of sho- shove yeah. it in our faces. <laughs> I got mine. I'm prepared. Yeah, well, that's, that's our fault. You're right. Oh, that, is, that is so right. So now, uh, uh, it, <laughs> no, I do not want some of your beer. Thank you, though. Like, n- not that it's your beer. Yes, it is that it's your beer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where you've been. I'll have some of yours. <laughs> no, no. Um, so if you ha- uh, I'll have some of that one. Um, give me a round. Give me a round of applause if you have heard our podcast before. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, now, conversely, if you've never heard the podcast, cheer now. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. People always point at them like this one. Yeah. Make fun of this one. Yeah. We won't. We won't. We won't. I won't. We won't. We, um, welcome to the club. Thank you. Episode 130, I believe. Um, what happens on this show is one of us is going to report on a topic suggested by a listener or multiple listeners. And this week it is my turn you. to do a topic. <laughs> I'll stop it. You fucking love it. You love it so much. Now, I, I do love the reports. I love making the reports. But I also love making them really, really long. So I hope you have no plans tonight. It's the only thing he can make long. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, very good. Sass twins. Off to a raging start. You're fucked. I'm not. I'm going to take you down. You're off to a raging start. I'm not off to a raging start. Okay. All right. She just implied my penis was small. I was just going with it. There's no bad ideas on the show, Jess. Even the ones... Even, even that kind of idea. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, so I'm going to start this topic with a question because I'm conventional. All right. Jess. Yes. Matt, to get, yes. Us, on, to get us on topic, we start with a question. I spoke to you. You're not even looking at me. Sorry. That's fair enough. Um, this question is one of those open ones. The potential of winning how much money would it take for you to consider sailing around the world on your own without stopping? That was a confusing question. <laughs> how much money would it take is what you're asking. Yeah, how much prize money if you, if you complete the task with your little sailing experience? How, I mean, that's something you are presuming. <laughs> <laughs> I typed in Jess Perkins sailboat into Google and nothing came up. So that's my research. Try Jess Perkins yacht. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Mega yacht. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it doesn't count if you have a crew of sixty people running your mega yacht. I did recently send you guys pictures of sick yachts I'd found online. Didn't did, I? Yeah, she did. She said so, which one? 
Which one? <laughs> Which one are we going to buy first? Yeah, podcasting is going real well. Yeah. <laughs> okay, how much money? Uh, have you got any boating experience? No, I, I mean, so I thought how much would you be... So you're not paid up front. No, it's if only, you if you, only if you do it. Well, as I could... I mean, I'm not going to ever do that. So it's a stupid question. Well, all right, Jess, well, tell him. It's a stupid question. Thank you. All right, what have I offered you £5,000? No. All right? <laughs> well, some people are fucking dumb enough to try. Uh, it, so that was in the 60s, £60,000 oh. or $110,000 Aussie dollars. Would you try it? You wouldn't try it. For $110,000. No. Yeah. How much does a yacht cost for Why starters? $110,000? <laughs> you know? All right. All right. Um, well, I, I didn't think you'd get the, the topic. So this is the story of Donald Crowhurst and the Sunday Times Golden Globe race around the world. Catchy. Have you heard of that? Have you, any of you guys heard of that? Fuck yeah. Because <laughs> this is a good story. Is a, I will not confirm nor deny that people die here. Uh, this topic was suggested by Carl Smith. Thank you, Carl. That's a fake name. <laughs> Carl. What's your surname? Smith. <laughs> well, thank you, Carl Smith. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to jump straight into, into the topic. You guys have never heard of it, obviously. No. No, I know it well. Um, <laughs> I got, I'll take this one from here. <laughs> In 1966... I've worked too long and too hard on this to <laughs> give that to him. 1966, you know what happened that year? <laughs> no. Saints won the premiership. Yeah. <laughs> You're wearing your Saints hat today. Oh. He wears that every day. Yeah. <laughs> wears that every fucking day. Anyway, okay. Uh, this is the story of Don Crowhurst's The Sunday Times Golden Globe Race Around the World. Yes, it is fucking catchy. All right. It's a good band name. Okay. <laughs> I reckon they'd suck. All right. In 1966, Englishman Francis Chichester, great English name, became the first person to single-handedly circumnavigate the world via the clipper route. The clipper route. I hear you ask, Jess. It's the clipper route. Jess, do you want to have a guess at what the clipper route is? Oh. Uh, say his name again. Oh, alright. I thought you were laughing at root. Okay. Yeah, that too. Francis Chichester. Oh, I love it so much. I love the shape your mouth makes. Oh. Shane, you got that, yeah? Oh, you must. Yeah. Chichester. <laughs> um, Stephen. That is Stephen. Stephen. Fucking Stephen. <laughs> fucking hate that dog so much. Anyway, the clipper route, I hear you ask. Thank you. The clipper route is basically the fastest continuous round the world route from England to Australia and back again. However, it is also one of the most dangerous passing south of the three great capes. What? Dave knows all about fast routes. <laughs> My favourite bit was, I'd well and truly moved on. <laughs> you were like... I hadn't. I think there's a joke here. Give me, give me a sec. Yeah. Give me Come a on, sec. Perkins, fast route! <laughs> You're right, I am a comic genius. This has 18 pages. <laughs> oh, 
All For right. context, mine normally a seven. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's a super dangerous route. You go through the three great capes, exposing sh- your ship to hazards like fierce winds, huge waves, and icebergs. The 65-year-old Chichester <laughs> <laughs> captured the hearts and attention of England when he single-handedly achieved the feat in the world, rec- uh, world record-setting time of nine months and one day. He returned to 250,000 people cheering him on, and a few weeks later he was even knighted by Queen Elizabeth II for his efforts. So it was a big deal in England at the time. On his journey, he had stopped off in Sydney. So before he even <gasps> returned, people... <laughs> That's in our country! Yes. <laughs> Which is on the Clipper route. <laughs> So before he even made it back, people were looking ahead at the next challenge. They thought they wanted to be the first person to solo circumnavigate the world via the Clipper route without stopping at all. That's the next challenge. Chichester had been sponsored by the Sunday Times newspaper and they had unexpectedly profited from his success. Uh, He had uh, brought the, uh, the paper fame and glory and they had greatly increased sales with their coverage of his travels. So 28-year-old English Navy man and sailor Robert Knox Johnston was adamant that the first non-stop solo circumnavigation should be completed by an Englishman and he tried to get sponsorship from the Sunday Times. Okay. Well, they said no. No. They did not have confidence in the young man. They didn't think that he was going to be the first person to do this, so he, he instead went to the Sunday Times. Okay. Sunday Mirror. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Clerical error. <laughs> Uh, in fact, many people came out of the woodworks and they started claiming that they would be the first to attempt the voyage. And the Sunday Times had the problem of not knowing who to back. Sure, they wanted to be involved with the first person to do it, but they didn't want to put all their eggs in one basket and have some other sailor beat them uh, to the victory. So they ingeniously came up with a way to be associated with the first person to actually do it. They created an open competition and they made entry automatic. So anyone sailing single-handedly around the world that year would be considered in their race. So just claim everyone. You're doing it? You mind? Mind, mind. So anyone is doing it. They didn't even have to like submit a in twenty five words or less. No. Why should you No. Really? Can never do it. Twenty five words. What's how am I gonna convey a story? Invoke emotion. My uh, my tip was a limerick. <laughs> I have won a trip to Mexico. It's true. It's true. With a with a limerick? That wasn't a limerick, no. Okay. That was a hot tip then. <laughs> <laughs> there once was a girl named Jess. Uh-oh. I assured her limericks are best. <laughs> but she said no. <laughs> anyway, I don't remember the structure of a limerick. That's it's a working good. progress. I think I was already at 25 words. <laughs> anyway, so they're claiming anyone who's doing their thing. And to even further hedge their bets, they decided to set up two prizes. One was the Golden Globe trophy for the per- first person to sail non-stop around the world. And secondly, they set up a £5,000 prize for the sailor who completed the journey in the fastest time. So that, again, that's £60,000 in today's money. So now they're covered even if multiple people completed in one year. They get to claim the first person to do it and the, f- the fastest person. So they've got fingers in all pies. In all pies. All pies. <laughs> Dave, what did you eat before the show today? I had a pie. <laughs> I did not use my finger. How did you eat it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I honestly thought I could do that and I could not. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Yeah, weird. Uh, okay. 
So the, the only problem that comes with automatic entry is, is that there's no vetting process. You're absolutely right. And now literally anyone can compete in what is an essentially very dangerous task and they couldn't stop people who weren't qualified to achieve it safely. There's this guy in a dinghy. Le- legit. You Someone can, put their bath in there. You, you, you Someone was just in their bath. <laughs> and the Sunday Times were like, they're, they're doing it for us. Yes. <laughs> Claiming it. Uh, the one concession to safety was that the, they, uh, they required all competitors uh, to start between the 1st of June and the 31st of October. Halloween. <laughs> Scary. In order to... <laughs> it's a spooky episode. He mentioned the date of Halloween. Um, so they, they want you to go in those months in order to pass through the uh, treacherous southern ocean in treacherous. the in the treacherous, Chichester, Southern Ocean in the, uh, in the safer period of summer. That's their only concession. You have to go through the dangerous bit in summer when there's less winds. Okay. Oh, the only other rule was that the entrants had to start and finish their, their journey somewhere in the British Isles. Start and finish. Okay, yep. Yeah, great. Sure. That's so far you've only done two the only other rules. Yeah. <laughs> I think you only get one the only, the only other, other rule. Yeah. The so only other rule is you never question the rules. <laughs> Please adhere to that rule. Uh, all in all, nine men were to take on the challenge. A few of them were Robert Knox Johnston, the aforementioned English Navy man and sailor. Mm-hmm. Uh, South African raised Nigel Tetley. Oh, that's also good. Frenchman Bernard Mortissier. Oui. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these men were uh, all experienced sailors uh, wanting to sail into history. They knew what they were getting into, these guys. Of course, they didn't have GPS satellites or constant weather updates like people do today. What? I don't know. In fact, Robert Knox Johnson's weather system was a barometer from the wall of a pub. <laughs> he described one. And it, it also has a clock, but every time just says beer o'clock. <laughs> He's just constantly cheesing. What a guy. Um, already read that bit. Now, no one was surprised that these men had volunteered for the competition. They're sailors. They're hardcore. However, four days after the race was declared, an unlikely competitor stepped forth. His Mother name... Teresa. <laughs> she was like, I got this. <laughs> she probably would have been more qualified than this man, Donald Crowhurst. Oh, I like that. Oh, he's from the name of the show. Yes. Woo! <laughs> I reckon this is going to be linked. I reckon this is going to have something to do with it. He's the kind of guy in a sitcom that appears ever the studio audience applaud. That's Cram- the kind of the oh, Kramer. Yeah. He's Fonzie. <laughs> He is the Fonz. Does he die? Yeah. We all die, mate. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Sorry. Sorry to be the one I have to tell you that. Fuck. The look on your face. Oh, a little cuddle. <laughs> Jess just gave him a hug. Everyone saw that. Uh, yeah, everyone in the room saw that, but the people listening in the pot at home did not see that. Well, they it's should amazing. Have been here. They it's amazing. They here. somehow missed it. They somehow missed it. <laughs> uh, Donald Crowhurst, our main man, the Fonz Arelli, was born in British, in British India in 1932. His father worked on the Indian railways whilst his mother was a school teacher. When his father died, they moved to England and they were soon beset by financial problems. Ooh, death. <laughs> People were sick. They were soon beset by financial problems. Ooh, financial problems. (laughs) 
Crowhurst briefly served in the uh, armed forces when he uh, grew up and was forced to resign after a rowdy evening invol- involving a stolen car. <laughs> Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel like I don't fully understand. I don't know. I just feel like you're, you're the crazy party bad boy of the pod. Oh, no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How many rowdy nights have you had that oh. ended in a stolen car? Oh, oh could, could count them on bloody Toys. two hands. <laughs> That's, oh, more, that's than, more than five. Yeah. Really. That's <laughs> could count them on more than two hands. Yeah. yeah. You nailed it. Well, I know lingo. <laughs> <laughs> well, our guy is a bit of a bad boy. And uh, what do all bad boys do, Jess? That's right. Throw <laughs> <Sorry>, shuckers. <laughs> they shucker and then start an electronics business in Bridgewater. Found, <laughs> found in our favourite county of Somerset. Somerset. I fucking love Somerset. Somerset. <laughs> I, look, I've never been to Somerset, but I, I imagine they're shucking all night long. All night. They are shucker-lucking. <laughs> anyway, um... <laughs> need to stretch my legs there. <laughs> he married Claire and together they had four children. Too many. <laughs> he married Claire and together they had three children. <laughs> <laughs> Two children. Hey. Drop uh, on my floor. <laughs> He was an engineer and designed and sold marine navigation equipment in his electronic store, which had some success, but then his business started to fail. Uh-oh. Crowhurst, who could have best be described as a weekend sailor at this point, <laughs> decided to gain publicity for himself and his business by entering the Golden Globe race. I mean, he's still got more experience than us, you know? <laughs> like, well, I can't judge. Anyway, go on. <laughs> Like, oh, he's only sales every weekend. Like, yeah, you're still s- pretty good. You said he was less likely than Mother Teresa. <laughs> was Mother think, Teresa yeah. like a three-day-a-week <laughs> sailor? Or? Yeah, three-day weekend. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, baby, she's out on the sea. <laughs> Shuck-a-luckin'. That's not, that's not catching on. <laughs> Confident of that. Is that catching on? No. Nah. Oh, I got a thumbs up. I got a couple and of shucks. Got a shuckers, yeah. <laughs> Shuck a luck and let's all say it. One, two, three. That's so, good. so It's stupid. almost like they'll say anything I want them to. <laughs> if that you're desperate not. enough, yes. <laughs> On the count of three, Dave's desperate. One, two, three. Dave's desperate. Yes, he is. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Crowhurst, the weekend sailor. Crowhurst, he was, uh, the weekend sailor. <laughs> <laughs> With Crowhurst. <laughs> The skipper to the millionaire. And original Gilligan's Island theme song, the movie star and the rest. There was only two more, Professor and Marianne, and they were just the rest. That's brutal. Fucked. That's brutal. Series two, they sorted out. Don't worry about that. This podcast is Dave and the rest. <laughs> and the rest. Anyway. So, I'm Crowhurst. La. <laughs> Crowhurst had been inspired by Francis... Chichester's story of sailing around the world and for a man who had grown up with adventure stories of heroes overcoming challenges this seemed like a way to make his mark on the world and at the same time gain fame 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 (laughs) and fortune he's a triple threat fame, fame and fortune yeah (laughs) his wife Claire was supportive and told him that if he was able to raise the money for the journey then he deserved it (laughs) on you Claire good on her if you yeah I think that's Kind of starting the obvious there, Claire. Yeah. If you're able to do this, then you can do it. <laughs> oh, thanks, Claire. Thanks for your support. <laughs> you dog. 
That wasn't right. That wasn't right. Uh, Crowhurst did not say that. He said, thank you. Thank you. He needed money, yes, but he didn't want to just buy a boat, Jess. Oh, no, 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 no. This engineer wanted to build his own boat. Okay. Oh, Jesus is right. A boat that could beat the rest of the field of highly qualified and experienced sailors. He thought that was the one thing getting in his way of victory. He was able to get the money and sponsorship uh, that he needed from a caravan dealer. That's good, because you got the the triple bunk and stuff. That's a way... If I'm sailing, I want to have like a small, shitty stove. uh, And a a table that turns into a bed. (laughs) Not Not a lot of caravanners in tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, growing up in the affluent East, we never used a caravan. He's not... Sailing a caravan. Well, I'm confused then. <laughs> uh, the caravan dealer was Stanley Best, who was a businessman but not experienced with this kind of sponsorship, so he offered Crowhurst a business deal. The deal was if Crowhurst pulled out of the race before it started or early on, then Crowhurst would have to buy the boat back off of him. To afford this, Crowhurst would have to sell his home and business. So basically, now he has to do it or he'll lose everything. He, but but he just has to start the race. I'd do a little Yui in the bay. (laughs) 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 He pretty much has to complete the race. That's different. Like a large... It's quite entirely different to what I thought. Yeah. And Crowhurst agreed to the deal. He also hired Rodney Holworth from the Daily Mail as his public relations officer. The newspaper would have exclusive access to him during the attempt and would regularly report his progress. So as well as his own hopes and dreams, and now his family, the caravan dealer and now a newspaper are relying on his success. The pressure is already mounting. Uh, the boat Crowhurst built for the trip was the Tinmouth Electron, a 40-foot or 12-metre-long trimaran. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was, was yeah, going to explain what that is, but obviously you know what it is. So, okay. Tri means uh, have a go. <laughs> and obviously, I think a m- moran is a right. dessert, right? Yeah. So I think, I think we've been able to piece that together. That's startlingly close. <laughs> the trimaran is a multi-hull, three-hull boat that comprises a main hull. Where I got three from? And uh, a triptych of hulls, if you will. Yes. <laughs> Two small outer hulls on the outside, and then the water goes in between. Uh, the mini one and the main one, you know. Uh-huh. Sort of looks a bit like a big canoe, and then two small canoes on the outside, and then they've got sticks. Basically, that's not but what it where's is. Where's the jacuzzi? Button. Where's the jacuzzi? Oh, in the bunk bed. <laughs> that sounds Improv. like poor design. <laughs> Honestly, is that true? I told you that is never... not going to work <laughs> out well. I've never been in a caravan. Uh, at the time, this was an unproven type of yacht for a voyage of such length. The one that he just made up? <laughs> no, no. It's a, it's a style of boat, but he was just making... I mean, sure, it's a style of boat. Yes. The style that he just came up with. Out the back. <laughs> It did exist, but it was very... It was experimental, and this type of uh, vessel appealed to him because trimarans have the potential to sail much more quickly than mono, single-hulled boats. I feel like these details could have been left out. (laughs) I've written such a long report, it's full of dull, boring things. (laughs) How will we ever get through it? Oh, uh, what I'll do is read on. (laughs) Sorry sorry to get through these, these factual bits of admin. Uh, the main, d- main design... Get to the death. <laughs> well, the main downside of this type of boat is, which I'll go off script here for, is um, that they, they can go fast, 
Uh, they're, they're pretty reliable, but if they do fall over, they are impossible to get back up. <laughs> so if you're in the middle of the ocean and it falls over, you're fucked. It, you're fucked. It falls over. <laughs> you guys heard about that boat that fell over, yeah? <laughs> That's why I don't go off script. Capsize. 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 <laughs> don't challenge me, Jess. I've got a word for everything here. <laughs> Fell over. <laughs> uh, to counter this falling over problem, uh, Crow has to. He planned to put an inflatable buoyancy bag on the top of the sail, so if it fell over, it would sort of uh, deploy and put the boat back up. But then he, he ran out of time, so we decided, I'll just do it on the run. I'll do it on the go. I'll finish that later. I'll finish that bit later. Nah, good. <laughs> Come on, let's get behind him. He's going to make it. <laughs> Uh, whilst he was still getting his ship built and ready, the other men already started to leave. The first man, John Ridgway, left from Ireland on June the 1st. However, just 16 days later, he was feeling lonely, so he uh, decided to meet up with some friends so they could drop off some mail. And whilst he was reading some of the mail, which included a copy of the Sunday Times newspaper, he read in that newspaper that he just breached the rules by getting mail from a friend. <laughs> <laughs> so he was technically disqualified. <laughs> he discovered that within the mail. Che uh, Blythe also. Che, how good is that name? Che Blythe. Che Blythe. Oh, Che Blythe. <laughs> che Blythe. Also left in early June, and although an experienced rower, he'd, even less sail- he'd had even less sailing experience than Donald Crowhurst. In fact, he'd never ever sailed a ship before. <laughs> On the day he set sail, he had friends sail in front of him to show him the correct manoeuvres that he was mirroring. <laughs> how ridiculous. Good. Is that? It's like, I'm figuring it out. Does that mean he, he learned it all backwards then? Yeah. He was still... <laughs> he was a left-hander. <laughs> this feels like it's going to go well. Uh, Robert Knox Johnson, our Englishman earlier, he left mid-June. At the end of June, uh, Nigel Tetley also announced he was going to be involved in his trimaran that he lived aboard with his wife. So now there's two trimarans. And he, uh, he took off. Now, um, so the Clipper route, basically, it's all the way from England, down the side of Africa, across to Australia and New Zealand, under South America, back up South America, uh, p- past Brazil and to England. Does that make any sense? No, you? you did it like a square. So it's like down and like this, across uh, like that this. That makes me feel like around the globe, earth, and then you come back up. <laughs> basically, it's a square. <laughs> it's not a square. Oh, no. Uh, all in all, it's 30,000 miles, and at the time, people didn't know if any, a human being could be alone for that long and if a ship could survive being out there like but did they, I don't what did, what, what did they think would happen if someone was alone they didn't realise people could be alone <laughs> no they thought that uh, the science iso- had to figure that out <laughs> they thought the isolation uh, that you could go mad mad at sea right I'd but love it like mad yeah <laughs> shuckaluckin am I right uh, but of course nine men were vying to prove them wrong Everyone's taken off. Meanwhile, Donald is far from ready. In fact, <laughs> eight weeks after the first guy left, he hadn't even begun to put his boat together yet. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, che Blythe was doing well. He was actually winning the guy that had never sailed before, but unfortunately he hit rough weather and uh, had to pull out, so he's gone. <laughs> <Of the route>. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> he had to pull out of the route. That is very good. Dave, do you get it? <laughs> I'll explain later. I don't get it, but it was very good. 
<laughs> um, the, my, uh, my other favourite person in this thing is uh, the Frenchman, Mortissier, who was a bit of a fight the power type. Revolution! <gasps> Your kind. Yeah. He was a, he was a real that. revolutionary. And uh, he'd already been try, uh, planning on sailing around the world, so when the Sunday Times invited him to join their race, he was horrified seeing it as a commercial, commercialisation of his voyage, as a violation of the spiritual ideal which had inspired it in the first place. Oh, <laughs> this guy sounds no good. <laughs> <laughs> But he was convinced to join and his plan was that he would join the race and then if he won, he would take the prize and w- would leave without a word of thanks. <laughs> That'll show him. Yeah. That I, is a revolution. I forgot well done. we were filming this when I did that. <laughs> Twice. Down the, you jizzed, down the barrel. jizzed on the, on the barrel. <laughs> Sorry, Shane. So I'm, I'm confused, genuinely. Um, would you believe it? Is it the first person to make it or is it the shortest amount of time it takes? Two prizes. So you get a trophy if you're the first one back and you get £5,000 if within the year you make it back and you're the fastest time. So yeah. if 10 people complete it, you get a trophy for the first guy and the fastest sailor mm-hmm. gets the five grand. Is that right. clear? That <laughs> so that's why they can leave at different times. And that five grand equals 110 grand. Is In that Aussie dollars today, yeah. Right. Bloody hell. Good stuff. <laughs> Well, I'm now really into this story. <laughs> There's a lot at stake here. Well, this is how, this is how Mortissier, the Frenchman, described the, the voyage in his own notes. Quote, anyone who tries it... Just no, sorry, Dave, in a French accent, please. <laughs> I need to visualise the characters. You're pretty good at French. <laughs> <laughs> your Ma- report, mate. The man your of report. a thousand noises. Number 604, was that French accent? Yeah, yeah, I can do French. Can you read that quote there? Anyone who tries it. <clears throat> Wait, it's an English quote. <laughs> <laughs> he's bilingual, but he still has an accent. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> Thank you. Anyone who tries it... Uh, just for the money, or prestige is going to break. Very good. That was pretty good. We, now, we. Do, now do one of your machine gun sounds. No, I don't. Look, there's, if a machine gun is involved in the story, sure, I'll Jeff. mimic what uh, it would... He then grabbed a machine gun. It's <laughs> 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 good stuff. So That's just one of them. That's just one kind of machine gun. Obviously, I can't do them all, but there's, there's three or four others. <laughs> there's three or four others. Three or four. Maybe even more than that. I don't know. <laughs> Read the quote again in case anybody right, In case you didn't it. hear it. I'll if do you it. don't speak French. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who tries it just for the money or the prestige is going to break. Well, why else are they doing it? Shits and geeks? <laughs> We'll cut to our friend Donald Crowhurst. <laughs> Crowhurst was convinced to launch from Tinmouth for the publicity launch, uh, a town which is 150 miles in the wrong direction. <laughs> so he's just added 300 miles to his trip. I love him. Uh, getting the ship to Tinmouth was the first outing on, on his ship. You know, a chance to get a feel for it, prove that he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and the trip should have taken three days. It took two weeks. <laughs> uh, this cost him valuable getting my shit ready time, and now he was really under the pump. Uh, before he set off, he was frequently interviewed, and you can watch uh, uh, press stuff with him. And the press followed his preparation uh, carefully. He said to a TV crew, "Quote, not in French. 
I think one's psychology has to be fairly stable and one has to be constantly aware of the risks one is running. <laughs> one does, doesn't one? Ah, one must. Oh, one must. Uh, on camera in front of the press, he always gave off a cool, calm, collected vibe. Always bright and cheerful. But underneath... Who's that remind you, you of, mate? Cool, uh, calm, collected, bright and cheerful. Who's that? Who do you want me to say? Jess. Jess. You, Jess. Stop it. <laughs> Yeah, I also wasn't sure if she was having a crack at one of us or... <laughs> I'm never sure. <laughs> Jess, is this also you? But underneath... I was going to say... Yep, he. that's her. That is her big time. Well, but uh, underneath, he, slash Jess, knew he was underprepared for what lay ahead of him. And when the, ca- when the camera turned off, his face dropped. <laughs> yeah. What do you like when the camera turns I'm off? I'm so sad. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, the highlight of my week. Yeah. No, go- it's okay, I'm fine. <laughs> Ish. Anyway. <laughs> you know what? I, I've got a, a good... The story really picks up here because when the boat was finally considered ready, as is customary, they broke a bottle of champagne against the hull. Yes. Supposed to be a way to christen the new ship for good luck, safe travel, you know. However, rather ominously, the bottle, which was tied to a ribbon and then smashed into the side of the boat, didn't break. <laughs> Donald had to smash it by hand. Many sailors would consider this to be a terribly bad sign. <laughs> Not Whoa. Donald! Oh, the day before the launch, Donald reportedly sat trembling, repeating, the boat isn't ready. The boat isn't ready. <laughs> I'd say, a lot of sailors say that's a bad sign. <laughs> and Dave said we knew nothing about sailing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, went to his, uh, he went to his sponsor and he went to his uh, press person and said, it's not ready, I can't go. And they said, it's October 30th, tomorrow is Halloween, have you got your costume? And <laughs> you have to leave. leave tomorrow or you'll have to mortgage your house. Shit. So he had to go. By this As point, a sexy nurse. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a way, uh, he, wa- he, did wear a- he was wearing a yellow one-piece suit when he left. I don't know what... Not typical sailing gear, but that's what he left. His wife and kids accompanied him out to his ship and he, he set sail for what be a- could be a year-long journey. However, <laughs> he failed to even leave the harbour. <laughs> He had to be towed back in and finally left a few hours later. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. He's the best. Uh, Just a couple of weeks into his journey, uh, Crowhurst's deficiencies as a sailor and the unprepared craft's faults were already starting to show. (laughs) In the rush to get uh, crucial material, uh, repair materials, uh, he'd actually left them behind in tin now. (laughs) Wait, what? In the rush to get them, he left them? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's how rushed he was. A lot of sailors will see that as a very good sign. <laughs> he's getting, I reckon he's improving. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bowl & Branch sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl & Branch sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code BUTTERY. So head to bollandbranch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. If it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, 
not in a way that's like, oh my god, it's expanding, like yeah, yeah. More physically, like it's growing more customers, yes. more interest. Not like it's going to explode. Yeah, not like it's a building that's like blowing up and yeah, it's yeah. Like, oh, what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. And I don't think they mean for marriage. You can sell your products on an online store, whether you sell physical or digital products, or you offer services like massage or oh. nails. Oh my gosh. Or uh, consulting. Should we, after this, get Manny Petty? <laughs> Babe, I've already booked us in. <laughs> um, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. You know, what about blogging tools, you yeah. might be asking? I like to blog. I love to blog. I like to blog. I like to vlog. Yes. Well, Squarespace has powerful blogging tools to share stories, photos, videos, and updates. You can categorize, you can share, and schedule to make your content work for you. Scheduling is the best. Oh, yeah. it looks like Jess has just uploaded something. What it? But it's like 3 a.m. in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, but it's the exact time I wanted to do it in New York City, baby. Exactly. Capture that New York market. Yeah. You mentioned vlogging as well. If you're into vlogging, you can organize your video library, showcase your content on beautiful video pages, sell access to your videos with member areas. The possibilities are endless. Now head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and save 10% on your first purchase of a website or domain. He was under no illusions that the craft was unfit for the conditions he would be facing. Nevertheless, he continued... Uh, by this time, five of the other sailors had already been disqualified or retired due to the conditions, leaving just four boats left in the race. We've got Englishman Robert Knox Johnston, Frenchman Mortissier, the badass who gives no fucks, Tetley in his own trimaran, the one that's on his houseboat, basically, and Crowhurst now bringing up the rear. Uh, Crowhurst had been given a camera to document his journey, and on film he put on a very brave face, but um, off camera... In his diary, he told a very different story. He recalled how hatches were already leaking, screws were falling out, and the engine compartment electrics and electrics were already flooded. He wrote, quote, This bloody boat is falling to pieces. <laughs> and this was in the calm ocean, the start bit. He, uh, and in that bit, he could bail out the compartments with buckets by hand, but once he got into the turbulent southern ocean where giant waves would constantly beat down on him, he knew bailing by hand would be impossible. Impossible. <laughs> That's the first thing that's ever gone wrong. <laughs> Simpsons? Itchy and scratchy land is a classic possible I go wrong. Uh, Donald knew this and wrote, quote, <laughs> Donald knew this and we are out of abort license plates. <laughs> My all-time favourite Simpsons joke. Anyway, there's no time, Matt. There's no time. My Donald... son is also named Bort. Oh, yeah. No, come along, Bort. I'm sorry, were you talking to me? No, my son is also named Bort. There's no time, Dave. There's no time. Donald knew that it would be impossible to hand bail and he wrote, quote, as it stands with the boat in its current condition, my chances of survival, survival would, I think, not be better than 50-50. Yeah, I like those odds. <laughs> Uh, it was a lonely journey, journey for these guys. So they didn't have a uh, proper uh, satellite radio or anything. So they uh, basically, sometimes they could get through to telephones via, uh, via a much shitter radio or, <laughs> or through Morse code cables. So they, there's not much uh, contact going on out there. Just yell. <laughs> I think he was doing a lot of that. Why, so why is, so mail was a no-go, but you're allowed to phone people. Yeah. What's th that about? Again, rule three, never question the rules. Good point. You did say that clearly, didn't you? Uh, that cost us an audience member. Yeah. I love rules as well. We all love rules. Oh, there's some guys over there. Do you want me to direct this towards you for a little bit? You get a little FaceTime? 
Um, it's douche. It's, it's douche for, from, from bombing the Death Star. Sorry, douche. Yeah. Uh, just one. Uh, what one episode mu- were you on again? Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. One of my favorites. What a guy. Focus, focus. There's no time. Uh, d- douche. Just let's one catch mu- up later. <laughs> <laughs> we're only on page eleven. Come on. That's pretty good. You're doing all right. Uh, just one month into the. <laughs> Pardon? Pardon? No, Zamet. <laughs> Sorry, that's Zamet. You don't know him. <laughs> Not from our pod. You know him from his pod, though. Any, any Sans Pants fans in? Oh, that was, that was fun to say. All right, anyway, let's move on. Uh, Zamet's had his time. Look, I'm trying to give him a bit of face time, Matt. Come on. Just one month into the journey, guys. Kroos um, <laughs> first wrote of giving up, but he was worried he would be ruined financially and also... <laughs> He's giving them a bit of face time as well, okay. Uh, he was worried he would be ruined financially, and also, he was worried he would be a laughing stock. Do a wacky face. <laughs> you do it? <laughs> okay, so, Crowhurst. If he went, this is his thinking now is, if he went forward, he might die. If he went back, he'll be ruined. Not great options. Go to the side, obvious. <laughs> Actually, what he did. Yes. <laughs> Plan C, which is lie. Lie and say he was doing really, really well. Okay, is that sideways? Yep. yep. After his very slow start, he contacted his publicist and said things had suddenly picked up and he travelled 243 nautical miles in one day, which was a new world record. <laughs> <laughs> Before this, he'd been averaging 60 mi- nautical miles a day. He's <laughs> just... Oh, I found the accelerator. Yes. <laughs> It's not clear what his plan was at this point. He may have just intended to do this for a, to save a bit of face. Basically, I didn't win, but I, I set a record. That's pretty good, and then retire early on. People back at home, including Francis Chichester, who'd already done this journey, were very sceptical. <laughs> but the publicists in the Daily Mail were big into it. So, oh, bit of shine there. <laughs> they were well into it. They started He's distracted <laughs> himself <laughs> with something shiny. <laughs> anyway. The Daily Mail were loving it, so they just started publishing this sensational story, sort of making Donald into a bit of a hero. Now, Crowhurst, who may have just planned on retiring, suddenly he's the underdog now smashing world records and he's on track to possibly even win this thing. Everyone thinks he can win now. Which, for him, may have been a bit of a backfire because now uh, he has the chance of winning. People are expecting more from him again. Also, now he couldn't retire and pull into port because when they, then they would work out he wasn't where he said he was and they would know he was a liar. So he is the king of painting himself into a corner. He's amazing at it. He should just say he's done the whole thing one and a half times. Yeah. He's like, I was having fun. I just kept going. Not that far off what he does. (laughs) (laughs) He decides to continue with the deception. And he kept two logs. One with his actual navigation, where he was, and a second log in which he could enter fake descriptions of his round-the-world voyage. But he's making making up like it... He's writing a novel now. (laughs) The creation of this fake log was an incredibly intricate process involving the need to make up convincing descriptions of weather and sailing conditions in a different part of the world, as well as uh, complex reverse navigation. So he's absolutely bullshitting out his ass. Bullshitting out his ass. Yeah. (laughs) The Australian vernacular is... (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. You Welcome. Yeah. Now, 
Another possible plan was that he might be bullshitting and he thinks that he could catch up to this point. But then it got to a point where he w- it was so far ahead he had no hope of ever catching up with where he said he was. So, uh, he started to send only cryptic messages back home in order to try and hide his real position and not give away that he was lying. Meanwhile... The beaver not- only eats at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously! The publicists would get it and they couldn't even publish the story because they'd be like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> Beavers? <laughs> Midnight? <laughs> Meanwhile, his three opponents were doing real well. Frenchman Morticier was making great speed. It was near New Zealand, nearly turning around. Uh, well, nearly on the second half. And Robert Knox Johnston was basically on the home stretch. They're doing real good. So, Crowhurst came up with a new plan, Matt, which is not that far off going to the side. He would wait off the coast of South America long enough that when his opponents came back past, he would slip in behind them. <laughs> That's good. And just say he'd done the whole thing. That's so smart. That's like when we used to do like fun runs at high school. Yes. Yeah. You'd catch the bus through half of it. So you just jump on the bus and do that leg and then jump on a bus and then cut through a park. Yeah. Wow, how did you run 10Ks in three and a half minutes? Well, <laughs> we've been working out. I remember doing a lapathon in my primary school. Did you ever do those? Yeah, that's probably what I meant. I don't think they called them fun runs. Fun well, no, but they had like this long table of teachers that would stamp your arm as you went past, and how many stamps you got? You got like, you know, people would pledge money to you, and you'd go at like the start of the line and be like, "Thank you," and then like somewhere in the middle and be like, Ooh. <laughs> "I I did a like record number of laps." <laughs> I think Jess just admitted to committing fraud. <laughs> Charity fraud. <laughs> I mean, well, it is a fraud that helps charity. Yes, okay. Well, that's, yeah. good. that's good. I raised more money. You dog. Yeah. <laughs> so now he's just hanging out off the coast of South America, just staying put for a while. To try and buy himself some time so he could lie low, Crowhurst reported that due to generator problems, he was shutting off his radio for some time, so he can't talk to anyone. But now he had no communication with the outside world, and he was completely alone. A Frenchman Morticia was sailing extremely quickly and he was on track to finish the race and do so in the fastest time. Mm. He was told that a big reception was waiting for him in England and that he would be escorted back to France for an even bigger reception. But being alone at sea, this badass Morticia had done a lot of thinking. Throughout his voyage, he'd been developing an increasing disgust with the excesses of the modern world. (laughs) The plan... The planned celebration seemed to him to be yet another example of brash materialism. He decided... Fuck off. He decided to just... Uh, they want to throw me a party. <laughs> you do good for the French. I do think I... The, the secret to French is start with... Uh. <laughs> That's... Yeah, end with bonbon. <laughs> well, I would. Uh. <laughs> so what did he do? He decided to just continue sailing. He left uh, just six weeks away from home saying, quote, My intention is to continue the voyage non-stop towards the Pacific Islands where there is plenty of sun and more peace than in Europe. Please do not think I am trying to break a record. A record is a very stupid word at sea. I am continuing non-stop because I am happy at sea and perhaps because I want to save my soul. <laughs> Fuck you to everyone else. He's going to win and he just decides to keep going around the world. What a guy. Just sails off into the sunset. But now he's out of the race, leaving three people left. Robert Knox Johnston, Tetley and Crowhurst. So it's cool. Crowhurst can just come third and be happy. That, that's what he wants to do. Sorry, still something shiny. Oh. 
<laughs> uh, disaster struck for Crowhurst just hanging out when uh, a float split, which is a major uh, thing that, d- you know, a bit of damage to his boat. So he needed to make some repairs that he couldn't do at sea. So he quickly darted into port at Argentina, hoping he wouldn't be seen by anyone. Because remember, he's supposed to be like in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> he fixed his boat real quick and went, went back out to sea and no one noticed. Oh, he's incredible. <laughs> so good. And then, and then he went, and then he sailed a little bit south to the bottom of South America, so he could film the big waves down there and say, "Look, I got film of the big waves. I saw it. I saw it." And finally, after four months of isolation, Crowhurst's fake position off the coast of South America matched up with where he really was. So he snuck back into the race behind Tetley and radioed home. This caused a media sensation. They haven't heard from him in four months because it looked like Robert Knox Johnston who'd left well before the others. He was going to win the race. Mm. But Tetley and Donald Crowhurst were both in the running for the fastest time. Remember, Crowhurst wants... Uh, oh, by this way, this is a part of his plan is he wants to come second because he figures the winner's logbook will be scrutinised because they're the winner. But if he just comes second, no one's going to give a <laughs> shit. So no one will even bother check- fact-checking it. So he'll still be a hero. He'll get his mortgage back but no one will look at the logbook. That's his plan. He wants to come second. (laughs) Got a bit of Bradbury feel about this. (laughs) Tetley, informed that he might be robbed of the fastest time prize, started pushing harder, despite the fact that his boat was having significant problems already. He made major repairs at sea in an attempt to stop the port hull of his trimaran falling off, and he kept racing. A few days later, on April 22nd, Robert Knox Johnston arrived home and he won the trophy. First guy home. Well done. Also, the whole time I've been thinking Knox Johnston sounds like a nickname for a penis. (laughs) (laughs) This whole time I've just been thinking of a giant penis. (laughs) Sailing a boat. Is your question going to be what kind of penis? Yes. (laughs) Well, I mean, Knox Johnston, I mean, what does that say to you? I don't know. I'm just telling you how I feel. That's, thank you for opening up, Jess. That's, it's nice to be let in, in there, in, in your heart every now and then. Uh, Robert Knox Johnston, uh, the penis guy, he completed his journey in 312 days and was welcomed home a hero. So he's the first guy here. This leaves Tetley and Crowhurst battling out for the fastest time of the five. Only one months. of them wants to lose. I know. <laughs> 5,000 prize money. And the other one wants to win. It feels like it should be an easy battle. Yeah. <laughs> they should have just communicated, Cro- I reckon. Well, Crowhurst sent a message home saying, there's no chance of me overtaking Tetley. Sort of just trying to like, you uh. know, make everyone expect he's going to come second so no one gets upset. But disaster struck. The crazy irony was that Tetley was so worried about being overtaken by a man who secretly didn't want to overtake him that he pushed his boat so hard that one morning during a storm his boat started to sink. Hey, (laughs) at least it didn't fall over. (laughs) It didn't fall over. Tetley had to abandon ship and radio for help and he was rescued from a lifeboat. Don't be disappointed that he didn't die. Yeah. They did name a brand of tea after him. So. That's a consolation. Yeah. Because he was that. dunked into the water. <laughs> that was an alley <laughs> So Tetley's out. Donald is the only one left, and given the speeds he'd been reporting and telling everyone he's doing, he's almost guaranteed to come home with the fastest time. That's what everyone thinks. Fastest bullshit time. Excited back at home, they radioed him to tell him of this good news that Tetley was out. (laughs) And he's going, fuck. Crowhurst started to panic. He He slowed his pace to a crawl, aimlessly floating in the ocean. 
His main radio failed shortly after hearing this news and he was plunged back into solitude. So before he pretended his radio didn't work, now he actually wants to talk to people, especially his wife. He can't talk to anyone. <laughs> he's, he's trying to, he spends weeks re- trying to repair the radio, trying to contact his wife, Claire. And on June 22nd, he was again finally able to transmit and receive in Morse code. Basically, he was told the exact opposite of what he wanted to hear. His publicist was telling him about all the syndication rights to the story that had already been sold, and now he's going to be welcomed home a hero with over 100,000 people expected to meet him on the shore. He was not going to be able to avoid the spotlight and scrutiny that would expose him as the fraud he was. So they're all like, yes! And he's like, no! Unable to see a way out of his situation, Crowhurst spent most of his days writing out his philosophy in his diaries, (laughs) attempting to find an escape in metaphysics. (laughs) Over the next eight days, he wrote 25,000 words about God and the devil. (laughs) He wrote, quote, I have become a second-generation cosmic being. (laughs) I am conceived in the womb of nature in my own mind. In the womb of the universe. <laughs> Basically, the, the isolation and the... I mean, you could say that the isolation and the impossibility of the situation was getting to him. <laughs> could say. You could say. Uh, his final entry was on July 1st, 1969. He wrote, It is finished, it is finished, it is finished. It is the mercy. It is the end of my game. The truth has been revealed. Donald Crowhurst's ten-mouth electron was discovered by a cargo ship floating in the Atlantic Ocean nine days later. Donald was no longer aboard. It is assumed he jumped off and drowned. (laughs) So it's kind of a mystery episode. I know you didn't. That escalated hard at the end. You people are sick. There was fist pumping. I know, he's... <laughs> uh, at first it seemed like a horrible oh, accident, but on discovery of his diary, his two logs, the real one and the fake one, and his video camera, it showed what had really happened aboard the Electron. The true story of, of his... Uh, so that was a big story. Everyone was like, oh, he, he obviously just fell off at first. That's what they thought the newspapers published. The true story of, of his deception was revealed a few weeks later when his press agent, Rodney Holworth, who sounded like a bit of a scumbag in this story, sold his logbooks to a London newspaper that caused a <laughs> sensation. <laughs> oh! Now, nah, well played. Uh, <laughs> Robert Knox Johnston, who'd been the only man to complete the race, therefore won the trophy and the £5,000 for the fastest time, but he donated the money to Crowhurst's family after the tragedy. Oh, oh. What a great guy. Now I feel bad for thinking of him as a giant penis. <laughs> oh, he wasn't a dick at all. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a big penis. <laughs> right? Are you looking at me? Yes. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> I hated where that went. Um. Right, so, um, uh, so that, that is basically the story. The, this year in 2018, for the 50th anniversary of the race, 19 sailors will again attempt the Clipper route in just two months from today. On June 14, they're off. Wow, cool. Obviously, it's a lot safer now because if they get in trouble, they just send up a GPS thing and someone comes to rescue them. So it's, it's a way... I mean, I'd try it now. Is there Would a more you? boring sport in the world than sailing? Yes, I've been watching a lot of the Commonwealth Games. <laughs> <laughs> Which one is it? Which one? Long jump. What? No, These no, human uh, beings jump eight metres. Yes, and they think they're fucking rock stars. <laughs> Seriously, before every one of them jumps, they do this to the crowd, they go... And I'm like, fuck off! 
That's my thoughts. Also, oh, rhythmic yeah. gymnastics can get fucked. <laughs> High jump's sick, though. Shuckalucking. I was I was the year seven high jump champion at my school, 2003, no big deal. You're right, it was not. <laughs> uh, over the decades, Donald Crow, her story has been uh, inspired many movies and documentaries. Uh, in 2006, a documentary called Deep Water was released, which I've seen is very fantastic. If you want to... It's more. very fantastic. <laughs> and that's been Margaret and David at the movies. <laughs> Four Fantastics out of five. Fantastics. <laughs> I'm just trying to make it my own. It was very fantastic. <laughs> uh, in 2017, two different feature films were released about him. That's two. too many in a year. Uh, one was called Crowhurst, starring Justin Salinger, which was overshadowed heavily by the other one because it was called The Mercy and it starred Colin Firth. So, there you go. He actually looks a lot like Colin Firth, Donald Crowhurst. So really? Because, haven't seen anyone seen that? The Mercy? No. Nah, so I've <laughs> checked with everyone. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, now to finish off, would you like some fun facts? <laughs> Do you want to guess what my fun facts are about? Boats. They're about crows. <laughs> Boats and crows. To be honest... I thought this was going to be like fun, 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 then he died and everyone was going to get bummed out and I'd, I'd bring it back with some fun facts, but you guys were all so pumped when he died. But uh, anyway, this, this is some fun facts. Yeah. We'll get through these. Uh, number one, crows are very smart. So smart that some zoologists admiringly call them feathered apes. In fact... I mean, they're, they're not feathered apes. That's In fact, proportionally to the size of their bodies, some crows have larger brains than humans. Yeah. <laughs> Was that fun? Yeah. Feathered apes is fun. Feathered apes is a bit feathered fun. Apes, I'm now, glad that's a cool band name. Hey, Webby, do you have any... Like, explosion's been done, mate. You got anything more fun than that for fun facts? Yeah, let's see, let's see. Right, I'll, I'll get another next one. one. Next there, one. I've got two more. They are so smart... <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, this is really building it up now. <laughs> uh, they are so smart they can understand traffic lights. In Japan, crows take walnuts and drop them onto the road waiting for cars to run them over to crack them open. The reason they rarely get run over is they've, they've worked out what green and red uh, traffic light means and they only swoop when it's safe to do so. <laughs> And final facts! Hang on. <laughs> this one's for my good friend, Matty Stew. The Adelaide Crows have won twice as many premierships as Matt's team. <laughs> despite, despite having played in the league 93 years longer than the Crows. <laughs> That is not fun. Ah, <laughs> uh, very good. True, thank you. Brutal facts. Brutal, yeah, brutal facts. facts. <laughs> uh, well, but that is the end of the report. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for coming out and packing Woo! this out. So James Wanaki, everybody! <laughs> thank you so much. Well done. Well done. That was great. I was worried that was going to be depressing, but uh, great. <laughs> What a crazy I had a lot story. of fun. 
Yeah, no, oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you had fun. Did you guys have a good time? Great. <laughs> I, I mean, I answered before you, just because I was like, I don't want to pressure them into this, and I did. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, thank you so much for coming out. Can we have a big round of applause for the European Beer Cafe for having us here? <laughs> Jeremy Webb on sound. <laughs> Bianca Pudlin on the shirts and on the camera. Shane Dunlop, thank you so much. Thanks to Carl Chandler for organising this venue for us. Uh, do you guys have anything else you want to say? We always forget, but we are selling T-shirts oh, and, yeah. and wristies. You're welcome. Um, Please. And just come say hi. Yeah, we'll come also say be hi. Up, we'll also be upstairs too, so if there's a... If, you know, anyway, too much admin. Um, we'll be there. Thanks, guys. Goodbye. Bye. Three episodes down at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. One more to come up this weekend. We've only got a few more tickets left at the time of recording. I think it's about six or something. So maybe there are some left if you are hearing it on the day it comes out. This Saturday at 4.30 at the European Beer Cafe. We'd love to um, have a great crowd there. Before us is Plumbing the Death Star. And I believe Jess and I are both going to be guests on that this week. So going to be a real bumper of a podcast afternoon at the European Beer Cafe. And it was so cool to meet so many of you afterwards. A lot of people stuck around and got some photos and bought some T-shirts and stuff. We met people from the US. There were people from all over the shop there. That was really, really cool. I signed a young guy, Dave or David's cast. We all did. He had a broken arm. So that was uh, an experience. We've never collectively signed a cast before. But yeah, it was really, really cool to meet so many of you. And of course, it's the time of the program to thank the people that support the show at patreon.com slash do go on, do go on pod. And, of course, the people that support the show get uh, rewards in exchange. And this month we've started doing two bonus episodes a month for those people. So if you uh, you want to hear more of our show every single month, just go to patreon.com slash pod. And we'd also like to thank some Patreon supporters right here, right now. Now, as I said at the end of that episode, in a couple of months, the Golden Globe Race 2018 is taking place, the 50th anniversary of that crazy, crazy race. Uh, the race is limited to 30 competitors, a number of whom have already pulled out. So there's only 19 people left. And I'm going to thank four Patreon supporters now. I need to give them a sailor that will represent them. And the highest placing sailor will win the Dugawan Golden Globe Trophy. Now, it is a fictional trophy. We will not mail you a trophy, but you get to claim that as a Patreon supporter. So, And I'll also give you a fact about where you live. These are the four people we're thanking this week. I would like to thank, first of all, from Christchurch in New Zealand, Josh Monson. Thank you so much, Josh, for your support. I hope you like golf because uh, did you know there are more than 40 golf courses within a 90-minute drive of your city? There you go. That sounds like a lot. I haven't compared that to any other cities, but it seems like a lot. Uh, Your racer is named Ari Wig. He's a 58-year-old man from Norway, a professional seaman, engineer, and yacht... Jess would be laughing if she was here and I said seaman. I'll do that for her. And a yacht surveyor with five decades of sailing experience. I reckon he is in with a chance of taking out the Golden Globe. So Ari Wig. Next person to thank, I would like to thank for their support, Travis Alexander. Travis Alexander. A frequent poster on the planet broadcasting. Great, mates. Good to have you uh, supporting the show too, Trav. Uh, he's from Gulfport in Mississippi. Mississippi, place I've never been but lo- would love to go on our American tour one day, is home to the both the world's largest shrimp. That is a physical shrimp. I believe it is actually kept in a museum there. I don't know if you've been there, Travis. And the world's largest cactus plantation. 
What a state. Now, your racer is Susie Goodall. Susie Goodall. She's 28 years old from the UK. She's been sailing since the age of three, so she's probably pretty good. Her boat is the DHL Starline. She's the only female sailor still in the event. So good luck to Travis and Susie. Uh, next up, I'd like to thank from London, Hannah Dathorn. Hello, Hannah. Thank you so much for supporting the pod. According to BuzzFeed, before the statue of Nelson was placed on the top of the 17-foot-tall column in Trafalgar Square, the year was 1842, the 14 stonemasons that made it had dinner on top. Amazing. There you go. Uh, your racer is Kevin Fairbrother, a 50-year-old fireman from Perth in Western Australia. He's climbed Mount Everest three times, so he's a pretty capable dude. So good luck to Kevin and Hannah. And finally this week, I would like to thank from Brisbane, right here in Australia and Queensland, Kajal Charlton. Thanks so much, Kajal. Definitely winner, winner of the best name this week, Kajal Charlton. Here's a fact from 10 historical facts every Brisbane resident should know taken from the Brisbane Times. Kajal, did you know that Brisbane City Botanic Gardens is home to the world's first cultivated macadamia nut tree, which still stands today? I didn't know that. I didn't need to know that. But now all of us know that. Uh, Your representative in the 2018 Golden Globe race is Igor Zaretsky from Russia, also the winner of the best name out there on the waves. In 2010, he won the Jester Challenge single-handed transatlantic race, a feat that won him Russia's Yachtsman of the Year title. So good on you, Igor. And Kajal, I wish you luck. I'm not sure who's going to take out. Maybe all four of them will crash out like our um, good friend Nigel Tetley did on the ocean in the report there. But you, you never know. One of them might win. And then you get the Dugo on Golden Globe uh, Patreon trophy. You can check out their profiles and everyone racing if you want to read out more about your people or anyone is interested in the race at uh, goldenglobrace.com, goldenglobrace.com. I'll be watching. Uh, it's going to be, you know, fun to see how they go. I know obviously it's going to be a lot easier. I talked about them having GPS and stuff these days. But, you know, it's still still a, a dangerous and treacherous uh, way thing to do. All right, that's the end of this week's episode. Thanks again for everyone that came to the live show. Hopefully we'll see some more people this Saturday. And until next week, I will say thank you and goodbye. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply.